So next weekend, I'm going to be in Philadelphia at my first ever board game convention. Woo! This board game convention is called PAX Unplugged, and I'm going there to learn more about and to play new games, old games, and even games that might not actually be published yet. And I'm going there to meet in person a community of people that I've met online through TikTok, of all things, in the board game world, whether it's publishers, developers, or other content creators. I'm really, really excited for this trip, and I've been planning it for a few months now. Originally, I was hoping to take my best friend with me on the trip, and we would drive together to save money on flights. Plus, in my book, 12 hours in the car with your best friend is pretty fantastic. So it was good, and it was economical, and that's what's more. We would have a car available all weekend rather than having to Uber everywhere in the city. However, as plans became more solid, my friend wasn't actually able to join me after all, so now I'm going by myself, which is fine because, like I said, I'm meeting a lot of people there that I consider to be friends. So I booked my Airbnb, I looked into parking costs, I found that the Airbnb had free parking near it, and parking near the convention center was really expensive for the three days that I was gonna be there. But I also figured out that the Airbnb was right next to public transit that I could take, and it would be like 10 minutes. So, okay, I'll park at the Airbnb, I'll take transit into the convention center, that'll be way better, cool, plan done. And then I was talking about my plan with one of the people that I'm meeting in Philadelphia, and she asked me, when does your flight arrive for the weekend? And I told her, oh, no, no, I'm not flying, I'm driving. And she said, Oh, wow, how far of a drive is that from Chicago to Philadelphia? And I checked again, it was still 12 hours. And then I saw the cost of the tolls was like $30. And I started asking myself, why am I driving and not flying? And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but there are times when making plans that aspects of the plan stay, even though the reason that was the plan changes. I was going to drive because for two people, driving rather than flying can save a significant amount of money, and I'm all about saving a significant amount of money. Plus, it was more time to be with my BFF, and then I realized that driving didn't really make sense if it was just me and it took someone calling it out for me to realize I was being silly. And so I booked a two-hour flight rather than driving for 12 hours. My plans changed. Today's passage that Jack's read for us pops us into the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of the Israel split after Solomon's death. Josiah is the current king, and he is descended from Rehoboam which is the last time we really heard from the southern kingdom here in worship. Since then, hundreds of years have passed, um, and there have been 14 rulers in between. Some of these rulers have been pretty good. They've been following the way of God, and they're doing things like tearing down idols or high places, and they're funding various repairs or works to Solomon's temple. Some of them had been not so good or actively bad, given to idol worship and not 
following the ways of God. But the author of Kings tells us in the beginning of chapter 22 that Josiah, he's one of the good ones. And the verses after our reading today will give a little bit more context as to why, but still, I think the moment that we're popping into the kingdom of Judah, here is a similar moment to my friend asking me, how far of a drive is that? So let me explain why I think that's the case. So Josiah's dad and grandpa were pretty horrible rulers. They were some of the bad ones. We're told that both of them put money, time, and other resources into worshiping other gods. But now, in contrast to this, in contrast to his father and his grandfather, Josiah is investing money into repairing and into beautifying the temple that Solomon built. This is one of the indications we see throughout 1st and 2nd Kings that a ruler values the God of Israel over other gods or idols. So Josiah is putting his money where his mouth is, kind of literally, and following the example of one of the good kings, Joash, who was Josiah's great, 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 great grandpa. And it's during this collection or during the renovations that a text is found and it's presented to King Josiah. Second Kings calls this text the book of the law, and it was possibly a portion of what we now read as the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, but exactly what was read to Josiah is not as important to us right now as the fact that it was a word from God, and it was a how far of a drive is that moment for Josiah and the nation of Judah. It was a moment when Josiah was faced with two options. Keep doing what he was doing or shift in order to be in better alignment with the ways of God. Again, not that Josiah seems to be doing anything bad. He's actively doing good things, but there's still more to be done. And this moment forces him to face that necessity. We see the choice that Josiah has made in the passage that was read for us. We see that not only Josiah, but the entire nation of Judah makes a commitment to be in better alignment with the ways of God. And if you keep reading, you'll be, you will find more accounts of how Josiah fulfilled his promise, taking drastic steps like tearing down the high places where other gods were being worshipped. This was actually a pretty extreme step that only one other good king before him, King Hezekiah, took. Even the good kings didn't always do this. In more modern church history, we would call a moment like this something like a revival, as my Wesleyan roots like to say, or a reformation, as I'm sure all of you good Presbyterians love reformations, or you good Catholics might have mixed feelings about, and we have spiritual revival or reformation moments too. We, us, here right now, individually and corporately, have revival and reformation moments. As far as I know, no one's come to the Pope, the King, the Prime Minister, or President with some hidden ancient text with world-shaking declarations from God like we see with Josiah, but I do strongly believe that God is actively speaking to Christians both personally and corporately today. We usually talk about these moments referring to the person of the Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity to whom we often attribute the work of conviction and revelation. 
But while I do strongly believe that the Holy Spirit still works actively in our lives, creating how far of a drive is that moments as we go through our day to day, hearing the word of God seems a lot more fuzzy in my experience than what we read in Kings. So then my question becomes, how do we know that it's God, when we don't have priests showing up to our door uh, with ancient texts, or we don't necessarily have prophets we can send our people to, like the prophet Huldah, who was the woman that Josiah consulted with right before the passage that we read, looking for more information on what God was trying to say to his people, what God was trying to say to God's people. What do we do to discern if something is God or if it's something else? I don't know about you, and I'm confident there's plenty of good and right answers to that question. But for me, there are two passages that I rely on when things are feeling fuzzy or unclear. Those are Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, and then Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. Mark chapter 12 is Jesus speaking, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Galatians is Paul speaking in chapter five, saying the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And these two passages, among other passages and around the whole message of scripture and church tradition, often function for me as a rubric when I'm acting, when I'm speaking, when I'm doing whatever it is Ben does, I guess. And if I think God is leading me in any direction, but I'm not sure if it's God or something else, I tend to try to look at the results. What is going to show love to God? and to others. I also look at my own intention. What's going to create more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more generosity, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control? I don't always get it right, believe it or not. But it's really helped me to feel more confident about God's leading, sort of like having a GPS in my back pocket just in case I get lost. I wonder if any of you have any passages or phrases like this that serve as a GPS when you're feeling unsure, when God's word is feeling fuzzy or unclear. So I've shared with you a couple of my personal GPS passages, and I hope you're thinking about what your own GPS passages are, and that's good. But now, I kind of want to get a little bit more real than hypothetical with it. And I want to give you an example of when I needed those two passages. I personally had a spiritual reformation or a how far of a drive is that moment. It was a few years ago, and I'd like to take some time to walk you through it, starting with the very beginning. I was taught as a kid by family members and by pastors that homosexuality was clearly a sin in the Bible. I was taught that belonging to any part of the LGBTQIA community was unnatural 
and against the clear and the obvious commands of God. At that point in my life, it was clear. It wasn't fuzzy. I didn't need a GPS. It wasn't until I started my bachelor's degree and eventually completed my bachelor's degree in Christian ministries at Indiana Wesleyan University that I even began to question this assumption. It's through my classes on inductive Bible study, biblical interpretation, and even global and historical church movements that I started to realize that, honestly, There's very little besides the most core essentials, the things we hear talked about in creeds like the Apostles' Creed, that is clear and obvious to everyone in every context throughout history, period. We exist in a world with reported 45,000 different Christian denominations. The PCUSA is one in potential 45,000 different Christian denominations. And each of those have either big or really, really small differences generally based on how they interpret portions of the Bible or how they navigate church tradition. And as I learned and I studied more, it started to be clear to me that nothing really was as clear or as obvious as I had been taught as a child. And it's kind of sad to admit, though, that even then, my questions were pretty tentative. They were pretty feeble. And when it came to my personal opinions and convictions about the queer community and Christianity, I still found myself in a camp of love the sinner, hate the sin. And that was a really easy stance for me to take because I wasn't really close to anyone who identified themselves with the LGBTQIA community. However, my real reformation moment came with a phone call around 2019 from one of my cousins. She came out in that phone call as transgender or trans is the shorthand that we use most often to me shared her name and her pronouns and asked me to refer to her in that way moving forward. I wasn't the first person in my family she had come out to and we weren't terribly close and we still aren't terribly close. But it was still one of those moments that I look back to and I affirm that I felt the Holy Spirit beginning to present me with an option like is being presented to Josiah and the people of Judah. Keep doing what you're doing or shift in order to be better in alignment with the ways of God. And I really needed my GPS in that moment. So I pulled it out. I thought and I prayed and and I felt and still feel pretty clear. It's pretty clear to me that the way of love, the way of kindness, the way of joy is to welcome to accept and to affirm my cousin's identity. Since that moment, I've had so many interactions with faithful queer Christians and I feel pretty confident that my GPS, it served me so well in that moment. I'm so thankful to welcome, to affirm and be in community, community where I am being taught where I am learning with amazing people, amazing spiritual people in the LGBTQIA community. But, even though I've shared all of that, the personal reformation is only half of the story 
we've been learning from Josiah. Josiah hears the word of God and goes through a personal reformation himself, but he doesn't stop there. He brings the word to his people, which leads to a corporate revival for all of Judah. Now, let's start being really clear. I'm not trying to follow in the footsteps of Josiah. I don't have that kind of authority, but I have been learning about something that I do want to share with you all because it just felt relevant. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. And if you know me, you might have picked up that I love to learn, I love to share what I learn, and I love to have conversations about it. So let's consider this to be like a big, large-scale conversation right now, okay? Brains in conversation mode. And again, I'm going to make it clear that this is not King Ben speaking. This is that curious, bald guy with a great sense of fashion and an impressive beard speaking, okay? So now we're in the right mindset. I'm pretty new to the PC USA stream, so I've been working to learn a little bit more about our history as a denomination. What are our unique beliefs, um, our histories, and, and those sorts of things? One book that Pastor Leslie gave me to help with this was by Jack Rogers, and Jack shares a bit about the history of slavery in the Presbyterian Church. It's complicated, and from his perspective, it's not very positive. There are a number of notable Presbyterian leaders who owned slaves. The Presbyterian Church didn't take a very firm stance against slavery, and from what I'm learning, from this book, some leading Presbyterian theologians adamantly opposed the abolition of slavery even after the Civil War. But something happened. Something shifted. And the church changed its mind, or whatever you want to say. Somewhere along the line, there was a, how far of a drive is that? moment for individuals and eventually for our entire denomination. And Rogers shares something about this, saying, in page 59 of his book, Christians in early America read their Bibles as saying that they should obey kings. But by the time of the American Revolution, people no longer took that admonition literally. Similarly, Christian people for centuries assumed that their Bibles condoned slavery and the subordination of women to men, Yet over time, and often reluctantly, people came to follow the Holy Spirit's leading to accept people of African origin and women as full and equal members of the church. He continues this thought in the next paragraph, and this next paragraph is the real meat of what I'm presenting to you. It seems that the Holy Spirit is once again working to change our church, making us restless, challenging us to give up our culturally conditioned prejudices against people of homosexual orientation. As we come to know faithful, obedient Christian disciples whose sexual orientation is different from that of the heterosexual majority, we discover that they have been blessed by the Holy Spirit, even as heterosexual people have been. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a change in our attitudes and actions can be a faithful response to God's leading. Here's my proposal to you all. Whatever you want to call it, 
revival in the Methodist circles, reformation in Presbyterian, God has a history of stopping us in our tracks and giving us a choice to keep going the way we're going or to shift into better alignment with the ways of God. The Holy Spirit gives us these how far of a drive is that moments. And when it happens, it's so important for us to pull out our GPS and to start finding and following the ways of God, even if it's a slightly more drastic, different direction than the path we were on previously. Okay, I'm gonna do some mind reading. Okay, Ben, those big picture and theoretical examples are just fine, but what do we do today, this week, as individuals or as a group to help us see and then act on these how far of a drive is that moments or these potential reformation moments? Well, that's a great question, all y'all. I'm so glad you asked. One of the simplest, the simplest recommendations that I can make is to engage in spiritual disciplines. While God certainly can and has stopped people in their tracks when they're not paying any attention at all to the divine, things seem to go much smoother for us if we're watching, if we're waiting, and if we're available for what the Holy Spirit might have to say to us. Spiritual disciplines are just things we do intentionally in order to center ourselves on God or to train us to be more in line with the ways of God. Actions like prayer, meditation, and reading the Bible are some of the first personal disciplines that come to my mind, but there are many other things that we can do as individuals. Corporately, we do some similar practices, including reading scripture together We pray, we engage in intentional fellowship with each other, and we practice a corporate confession every Sunday. These are all examples of corporate spiritual disciplines. But beyond these familiar practices, I encourage for us to think for a moment about what practices in our lives could help form us into the type of people who will reform or who will enter a revival when presented with information that changes the way we interact with the world. I want to encourage us as we continue to live in a world that might feel like it's changing daily. In a world that feels like it's changing daily, let's not get stuck doing things that were right for us 10 years ago, putting our heads down and ignoring what God has to say about the here and the now. So I'd like to end my time up here in the pulpit with this challenge. When we encounter something new, or when the Holy Spirit stops us in our tracks, when someone asks, how far of a drive is that? Will each of us be a person who brushes it aside and just continues on as planned? Will we give it a second thought? Or will we be the people who stop listen to what the divine might be saying to us, and make an effort to shift into better alignment with the ways of God? Will we, as a church family, keep doing the same things the same way regardless of the impact, or will we be reformers like Josiah and like the kingdom of Judah?